0: Welcome to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to The Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to ask you to stay tuned. 30 minutes now, coming up of motivation, inspiration, a little bit of education, and never any manipulation. By that we mean we don't play games, we don't have hidden agendas, we're not here to solicit anything, no money, no membership, nothing like that. This show is simply about one thing, giving you accurate information, not human speculation, but accurate information, and it is my humble prayer that that information will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you're able to do that by listening to this show, then you can orient and adjust to the plan. It's just that simple. And so the Flock line is heard every Sunday here on this radio station. And the objective is always to give you the opportunity to live your life without pressure, without stress. Remember, the motto of this show says, Adversity is inevitable, but stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress is... Well, that's what you do to yourself. If you use the Christian way of living, if you use what the Bible teaches, you will be able to live without stress in your life. You will not be able to live without adversity. That's inevitable. The Bible says man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. You will have adversity. And 99% of that adversity is probably going to be self-induced more than likely. But it is possible. It is very possible to live without worry, to live without fear, to live without bitterness, to live without implacability, to live a life where you are not stressed out. Because adversity, again, is what circumstances do to you and stress is what you do to yourself. Well, how is it possible to live without stress? By learning the ten problem-solving devices. Those ten problem-solving devices we teach on this radio show are nothing but age-old biblical truths, maybe packaged and coined in a different term, but they're not anything you haven't heard before. It's just a way of lining up the wonderful problem-solving devices found in the Bible so that you can stop the outside pressure of adversity before it becomes the inside pressure of stress. Learning those ten problem-solving devices, which we call the flat line in the soul, learning those ten problem-solving devices and using them as a flot line in your soul. Flot is a military term. It means the forward line of troops. And so when you have a forward line of troops in your soul, Bible doctrine, the word of God, then it stops the outside source of adversity before it can become the inside source of stress we have been going over those 10 unique problem-solving devices. This is not something I developed. My pastor developed this years ago. I'm simply teaching you some of his very notes that he taught me, and that's fine. I'm not stealing his sermons from him. He encouraged me to do this because he understood this many years ago, and the Bible is free to all. And so we want you to understand that there is a way to live where you are not subjective to the satanic pressures of this world. You don't have to live under the pressures of this world. There is a better way to live, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, identified this when he came into the world and when he lived in the devil's world, and he survived it. He used fabulous problem-solving devices like in Matthew 4, where Satan tempted him in the wilderness and he quoted Scripture. He used the shield of faith. He was standing behind the promises of God. And you can do the same thing. So we will review, and this is what this radio show is about. I'm reviewing now. I'm going back over something that we've taught in the past. But remember, we're 300 and, let's see, I don't know, 300 and... Uh, 33 hour, half hours into these radio shows. That's 333 Sundays across the United States that we've aired these shows. You can figure out how many years that is. And as we air these shows, we've taught this from time to time, but it always bears repeating. The first problem solving device is the problem solving device of rebound. It's you confessing your sin. You have a problem, and that problem is you're going to sin. I'm going to sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But the Bible also says if we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our wrongdoing. And so rebound is the way that you recover from your sin and your failure, When you sin, when you fail, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. It doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. It means you've become carnal and you've let your flesh take over, your old sin nature. We all have a sin nature, every one of us. There's only one man who did not have an old sin nature that was born into this world, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of a virgin. Adam did not have a sin nature, but he wasn't born. He was created by God. And Adam sinned and received a sin nature and consequently passed that sin nature down to all of us because the Bible says, For by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and now death has passed on all for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And our Lord Jesus Christ removed the penalty of sin when he was judged in our place. That's why the Bible says he that knew no sin was then made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. And so when we understand rebound, we understand that we can confess our sin to God. We haven't lost our salvation. And God said he would be faithful and he'd be just to forgive us. And that doesn't mean that's a ticket to do whatever you want to do. Remember, the Bible says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. So this is not just a ticket to do whatever you want to do and then go to God and admit it. God takes sin very seriously. It breaks fellowship with God. It quenches the Holy Spirit and grieves the Holy Spirit and allows you to be subject to the control of your sin nature. Rebound allows you to recover your momentum spiritually, allows you to get back in fellowship with God and resume the filling of the Holy Spirit when you go to God and simply name your sin to Him. 1 John 1.9 The second problem-solving device is the filling of the Holy Spirit. What problem does that solve? It solves the problem of the old sin nature. There are two U's inside there. There is the you which is the flesh and the you which is the spirit. And the Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. That's why you seem like two different people sometime. When you let the old sin nature control your life, then you're going to do exactly what you want to do. And when you let the Holy Spirit control your life, you're going to do what he tells you to do. And the decider in all of this is your volition. You must choose. You have a choice to make. God did not make you a robot. He gave you freedom of choice. And when you're tempted, you're choosing to sin or not sin. And when you sin, you must rebound. And you must rebound quickly. If you want to stay out from underneath the discipline of God, I promise you. But under the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can produce divine good. In other words, God will be glorified with what you do. But under the control of the old sin nature, then you will produce human good. And at best, it will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ and called wood, hay, and stubble. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit, problem-solving device number two, solves the problem of our genetically formed old sin nature controlling us. Problem-solving device number three is the faith rest drill and standing behind the promises of God, as per Ephesians 6, verses 1 and following, where we're told to pick up the shield of faith and to stand against the strategy of the devil. The word of God is the shield of faith. There are over 7,000 promises found in the word of God, and those promises are yours to cash in and use if you can discover them, if you can claim them, if you can use them. So remember that. The Faith Rest Drill is a phenomenal problem-solving device. What problem does it solve? It solves the problem of adversity and unfair testing when it comes into your life. Things that happen to you that you don't deserve, things that you don't understand, and you think that wasn't fair, and you have a tendency to be discouraged or you have a tendency to be uh, deflated and, in, and defeated because of these things faith rest drill if you want a book on this remember we have these books available they are free we'll be glad to send you this information if you'll contact us by means of our website that's rickhughesministries.org you can contact us there and request the book on christian problem solving and we will send it out free of charge to you Now, the fourth problem-solving device that we want to get into today out of the ten, the fourth one is grace orientation. What a wonderful word grace is. Grace orientation is a problem-solving device for you to learn, for you to use. And it is you orienting to the grace of God. Now, number one, we are saved by grace. The Bible makes it clear when it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man would brag about it. So let's get one thing straight. We're not saved because of who we are and what we do. We have eternal life and we go to heaven because of who Christ is and what he did. The Bible clearly says there are none of us that are righteous, no, not even one. All of our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. So don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you're getting on the good side of God because you tithe or because you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't use bad words and and maybe you're going to go to heaven because you treat people right and you're kind and you're generous you can be kind and generous and be devoid of any vice and still die and go to the lake of fire that's because Jesus Christ said I am the way I am the truth And I am the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. And if you try to add your human good to the finished work of Christ on the cross, you're just going to cancel out the grace. Grace and works do not mix. You cannot say, I'm saved because I have believed in Jesus Christ and trusted him, and I don't shop at some weird place. (laughs) I believed in Jesus Christ, and I've trusted in him, and I don't drink some weird drink. See, that's adding to it. And that's what Satan's wonderful at doing, counterfeiting the grace of God. And that's what religion is excellent at doing, counterfeiting the grace of God. And religion will tell you real quick that you must observe a ritual if you're going to go to heaven. The problem is when the ritual has no reality to it, then nobody's going to go to heaven. So grace orientation is simply... You orienting to the grace of God. The Bible says in Second Peter 3.18, we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow is a mandate in that verse. It's not a request. God's not saying, I hope you will please grow in grace. He's telling you, grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow being a mandate is an imperative verb in that passage you're not growing you're not obeying the verse and the bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin so if you know you're to be growing in grace and you're not you're not growing you're going through ritual and there's no reality to it i'm sure the holy spirit is screaming at you inside of your soul you're probably fed up with it because you know you're not learning you know you're not getting anything and yet you keep going and you keep hanging in there with the organized religion, hoping that somehow or another you're going to find some sort of peace and resolve the issues in your soul because you go through the ritual every Sunday. But until there's the reality of what those rituals represent, you're never going to get that peace you're looking for. You must grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that, well, the Bible says it, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, the enemy of grace is always something called legalism. Legalism. The religious, legalistic person is impressed with his works. He's impressed with his good deeds. Our Lord Jesus Christ ran into this in his first advent here. When he took on a human body and he became a man, and once he began his public ministry at roughly the age of 30, he began to call out disciples to follow him. One of the interesting times that he did this is when he called Matthew. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, my pastor has been teaching this just recently, and I've really enjoyed the way he has made me aware of this grace versus legalism. And I'm sure he would not mind me sharing some of this with you. This is simply from the Bible. It says after that Jesus left, and this is as he was moving through the land, after he had left uh, Judea and gone to Galilee and moving through the land in the first year of his ministry, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And then Levi held a large reception at his home for Jesus, and a huge crowd of tax collectors and others came and gathered with them and were eating. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained to Jesus' disciples, and they asked, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overheard it and said this, healthy people don't need a doctor, those who are sick do. I have come to call sinners to change the way they think and act, and not to call people who think they have God's approval. The religious crowd think they have God's approval. I said they think they have God's approval. They don't think they need a doctor. Listen as Jesus goes further. And they said to him, they being the disciples of Jesus, John's disciples frequently fast and say prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your disciples eat and drink. In other words, there's two things going on here. The disciples of Jesus were having a feast, and the disciples of John and the Pharisees were observing a fast. So the question is, why are you feasting when you should be fasting? And Jesus asked them, Can you force wedding guests to fast while the groom is still with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. And at that time, then they will fast. And he also used another illustration. He said, No one tears a piece of cloth from a new coat to patch up an old coat. Otherwise, the new cloth will tear the old cloth. And besides... The patch from the new will not match the old. Then he went on to say, people don't pour new wine into old wineskins, because if they do, the new wine will make the old wineskin burst, and the wine will run out, and the skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine is to be poured into fresh skins. No one who's been drinking old wine wants the new wine. Now here's the deal. The old wine is the legalistic religious Pharisees that were criticizing his ministry. The new wine is the new lifestyle of grace that our Lord has now offered to the disciples of John as well as his own disciples. When he gave the illustration about the old cloth and the new cloth, the old cloth is religious legalism. And the new cloth is the grace of God. Grace always must be separated from legalism they will not hold each other together they won't work together and grace is a different way of living saved by grace is not you being saved because you belong to a certain church it's not you being saved because you don't do a certain thing saved by grace means you believed in the lord jesus christ and received his finished work on the cross You've expressed your faith in prayer, as the Bible says. Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've done that. You've trusted Jesus Christ through faith alone, in his work alone. That's grace. But the old wine, or the old coat, the one that is the old works, is the legalism. And you can't put grace and legalism together they don't work. And the legalists don't want the new wine. They don't want the new coat. They are happy with what they have. And this is why they opposed our Lord so very much. They could not believe that he would be having a feast while they were having a fast. And they thought that the fast they were observing, which was a Mosaic tradition was going to find favor with God and Jesus our Lord introduced them to a new way of thinking. And this really offended them so much. And wait until he gets to the Sabbath. Wait until he teaches them about the Sabbath. They're really going to be offended. Because they had no intention of believing anything that this carpenter's son from Nazareth would tell them. And yet our Lord was demonstrating the new way of living. The grace way of living. Remember that the worst enemies that Jesus had during his time on earth were these legalistic Pharisees. They hated him and they eventually were responsible for his crucifixion. Why did he, why why did they hate him so much? Because he threatened their power. Don't you remember what he did when he walked into the temple and drove them out and drove out the money changers and turned over their tables? Remember that? That was a threat to them. He was getting the attention of the people, and they wanted to control the people and the funds they received from the people through various things that they did in the organized religion. The story is too great to be told of what was going on at the temple at Passover when Jesus went in there, but there were a lot of people making a lot of money, and when our Lord thumped all those tables over, the money went everywhere. They were called money changers, but there's more to it. I don't have time to get into it. This is why they hated him. He threatened their security. He threatened their power. He threatened their way of life with a new way of living, which is called grace. I remember when I first got saved and well-meaning Christian friends that I had were concerned about me. They wanted to make sure that uh, I lived the right way. So they pulled me to the side and They would instruct me in the ways of the Lord. I can still hear them now, brother. If you're going to be a Christian now, you, uh, these are some things you should do and shouldn't do. And some of it was so ridiculous. Do you know the Bible doesn't comment on what kind of music you listen to? The Bible doesn't comment on how you dance. The Bible doesn't comment on whether or not you wear makeup or not makeup or how much makeup you should wear. And it's funny. So many religious people are there to tell you how you should live your life and how you shouldn't live your life. And as I began to learn the Word of God, as I began to see the freedom that was in Christ and the grace that was extended to me, well, I began to be an outcast because I didn't go along with the traditional chains of religious legalism that were trying they were trying to strap around my neck. And I hope you're the same way. I hope you don't buy into that stuff. That in order to be a friend of God, you've got to tithe 10% of your income. And in order to be a friend of God, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And uh, no one ever tells you what the Christian life really is. There's nothing wrong with tithing 10% of your income. That's not the problem. It's not a means of spirituality. It's not how you grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a means of taxation in the Old Testament And everybody in the nation paid 10%, whether they were believers nor unbelievers. It was to maintain the temple. And so today, religion has seized upon that, and among many other things. No one even tells you what the communion service is about. No one warns you, don't take communion out of fellowship, or you could possibly die the sin unto death if you do it long enough and keep on doing it. And the Bible warns you about that in First Corinthians chapter 11. And yet, how many pastors even teach that when they offer communion? We just fall into the ritual, and there's no reality to it. If you're going to learn grace, if you're going to learn to live by grace, you learn about saving grace, and you learn about living grace. And living grace means you grace people out just like God graced you out. You don't hold grudges. You don't seek revenge. You don't sue your neighbor every time they do something you don't like. You're not always out to get even with everybody. You get over that stuff. And you live in grace and you treat people in grace, just like God treated you. Did you forget what the Bible says, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What was that first part? God so loved the world. What about your neighborhood? I hate that bunch of people. Did you say that? I can't stand my neighbor. I can't stand those people behind me. I can't stand those Republicans. I can't stand those Democrats. I can't stand those this, that. What? Where did you get all of that? That's not grace. That's your way of living. That's your bitterness. That's your prejudice. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches living by grace, grace orientation. People in the ministry, if they're going to operate under grace, they should never make an issue out of money. The Bible says you got it free, you give it away free. And yet so many great ministries that teach grace also say, by the way, for a gift of 1995, I'll send you my latest book or tape. That's not grace. That's manipulation. That's that's marketing and selling you something. Come on. Grace orientation is an amazing way to live. And you know there's even grace in eternity, surpassing grace. Because the Bible says the eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, and the heart hath not felt. The amazing things God has for those that love him and wait for his appearing. Grace orientation takes the monkey off of your back. And it puts the monkey on the back of the Lord. It lets him take care of your needs. You don't have to fight to take care of your needs. You don't have to fight to get even. You just live by grace. And what a wonderful way to live it is indeed. It is the most relaxing way to live. You grace people out. You don't judge them. You don't malign them. You don't stick your nose into their business. You don't critique them. You just love them. And if they need something, you help them. You don't vibrate when they come around you. you don't, you're don't. not prejudiced about them. You treat them in grace. Why? Because God graced you out. God graced you out. He sent his son to pay for your sin. That's grace. Why do you live like you live? Carrying grudges and being bitter and being prejudiced. That is not grace. There's a lot more things that I need to say as we review the 10 problem-solving devices. Problem-solving device number five is doctrinal orientation. We'll get into that next Sunday. We'll explain the importance of learning the Word of God on a daily basis. But until then, thank you so very much for listening. Thank you for giving me a few moments of your time. This is Rick Hughes. Host of the Flatline. Thank you for listening to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.